Welcome to the Victory Life Church Podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. We're getting ready to kick off a new series, sort of a mini-series out of a big series that we've been going through called Living God's Way, which is going through the book of Romans. But as we enter chapter 12 and chapter 13 and chapter 14 and 15, we kind of, Jacob and I were working together on it. We feel it's all about relationships, how we live out our faith. So we begin a little mini-series under the big series called Rethinking Your Behavior. Rethinking Your Behavior. In other words, are you living what you've learned? Is your behavior, does your behavior match your beliefs? Does your Doctrine and duty line up together. If they do, God will use you and work mightily through you. Anybody that loves Jesus wants to be used of God. So if your behavior lines up with what you believe, what an impact you can have on others all around you. And it is all about relationships. Today, the title is Rethinking Our Behavior Towards God, Towards Others, and Yes, Towards Our Enemies. We could spend a long time on that. And then as we go to chapter 13 next week, we're going to be talking about our relationship with the state, the government. You won't want to miss it next week. And I'm not going to be politically correct. And all I could see people going, oh, no. Please be praying for me, okay? (laughs) Then finally, in chapter 14 and 15, Jacob will be covering the relationship we have with people who are different than us. The diversity that's in the church. How can we behave towards those individuals? We're going to get ready to pray, and I wanted to hand it to staff here. Kevin, would you come up here at this time? I know he didn't expect that, but Kevin, I'm going to ask you to pray, and I wanted to hand it to still the play, but I'm proud to, not only my son here, but my other son, Kevin, he is from the church over at Plantation Community. Hannah, you can come up here, and uh, I'm just proud of him. Now, remember, there's the sons of natural birth, and there's sons that we all are of God in that he adopted us into his family. And so this is my son that I'm very proud of, and of course his wife, that he is the, one of the pastors down at Plantation Community. He came to us 15 years ago. We told him about Jesus. He accepted Christ. He went on to get his college degree, his master's degree. He's now pastoring and working on his doctor's degree. He loves God. They have three children, one's in heaven, and now one's on the way, and he's going, they're going to give us a Christmas present this Christmas. So I'm just proud to have him and Hannah worshiping with us this morning. So Kevin, would you uh, pray over me this morning and ask God's blessing on this congregation in this message this morning, please? Absolutely. Thank you, Dad. I'm the favorite son, by the way. Let's go before the Lord. Well, Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, for this church, for Victory Life Church. Without them, I don't know where I would be today. And so, Father, I am so thankful for what this church has done in and through my life, allowing me to meet my beautiful bride. And just there's just so much memories here at VLC and so many great memories to come to. So, Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the people that are here, the, sh- the shepherds that are in place of these people, Father. And I just thank you, Lord, for this ministry here. Lord, I want to lift up my father here, Lord, that you speak boldly through him, that his words are not his words, but it's your words speaking clearly through him, Lord, that you'll give him the boldness to preach the gospel clearly. And so, Father, we also ask for those sitting before us that you'll open up our hearts, open up our ears so we can see and hear what you have in store for us this morning, Lord. Let your word come alive, Jesus. I pray over my dad, Lord, and it's into your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. 
Amen. All God's people said amen. Love you both. Uh, someone said, well, uh, I was, uh, you know, I'm the favorite son. And, and yeah, that's because you were born in the family. I was chosen to be in the family. That's what Kevin's always saying. I was chosen to be in the family. But truly, they are our son. Anywhere we go, everywhere we go, they, he is our son. And he calls us dad, and we call him son. And uh, we did put him in our will because we did. Because we wanted to make so sure, and I've told him this so many times, and, the, and the, the girl that God sent our way, that we wanted to make sure that in case anything was said or anything was ever done or we slipped up and messed up in any way whatsoever, that they would be assured that no matter what, they are a part of our family. And that's what God does for you and me, right? In fact, it, it leads me into the statement of the therefore when we read verses 1 and 2 in chapter 12 of Romans. Are we ready? <clears throat> Therefore, in Romans chapter 12. Now, in the NLV, it doesn't, or NL, the New Living Translation, it doesn't say that. And it says, and dear brothers and sisters, but in most of your translations, it says, Therefore, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Well, the therefores. There's about four therefores in the book of Romans. You start in Romans 3, 21, or 20 and 21. Therefore, because you are a rebellious creature, Therefore, because you have sinned against God, you are condemned and you will be judged and sent to hell forever. Ooh, that's the bad news. Thank good goodness and thank God for the next therefore in Romans 5.1. Therefore, you have been justified by the blood of Christ. You have been forgiven because of the cross. You are made right in the sight of God. You have been justified. Aren't you glad for that, therefore? Then we move on a few more chapters into Romans 8, 1. We love that as believers. Therefore, after messing up, therefore there is no more any condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad for that body of Christ, therefore? Then there's one more therefore in Romans 12, 1. Therefore, in most translations, it reminds us, therefore, based on all these things you've learned that I've taught you, Paul is saying, in light of God's mercies, in most translations it reads, in light of God's mercies. In fact, let me read Psalms 103. In view of God's mercy, it says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them who love him. So in light of his mercy, in light of what you deserved and I deserve, in light of what Jesus did for you, I'm urging you, I'm pleading with you, Paul said, I'm almost begging you to present your bodies, not to the world, but unto God, a living sacrifice unto the Lord. So I see three things in this particular verse as we think about dedicating our bodies. We're thinking about being in a right relationship with God. I always think about being in a right relationship with my family, with my spouse, with my church. Where would you put your relationship with your spouse right now on a scale 1 to 10? Or your girlfriend? Or your wish, your boyfriend or girlfriend that you had? <laughs> you can still dream. <laughs> well, we all dreamed, didn't we, at one time about the girl or, or the guy? What, where would you put that relationship? On a scale of 1 to 10, would it be a 1, a 2, a 5? I, I always think about my human relationships, and then I transcend into my relationship with God. What kind of number would you give your relationship with God right now on a scale of 1 to 10? I was thinking about that this morning, and 
I gave myself an eight. Now, that doesn't mean I'm patting myself on the back. That just means there's a lot of room for improvement. But I can sing that song, I'm in love, I'm in love, I'm in love. Nothing wrong with that to say that, right? This is the easiest place to say that. Are you in love with Jesus? If you are, he's asking you to dedicate your body, your mind, and your will to him. How can you go about doing that? And by the way, if you do that, you will be in a right relationship with him. You may not be in a right relationship with him. You may need to rethink what you believe about him or about your behavior. Maybe your conduct right now, maybe the way you're living isn't lined up with what you've learned from God's word right now. And this morning, he's going to challenge you and me to rethink how we're living for him at this present moment. He's asking you to dedicate your body based on his mercy, based on his forgiveness. Please present your bodies a living sacrifice. The Apostle Paul, of all people, knew about God's mercy. He consented to killing Christians. And when God struck him off that horse, he fell on the ground and was blinded. He received God's mercy. He received God's forgiveness. And he said, I have a debt of love I can never repay you, God. Is that how you think this morning, that you have a debt of love that you can never repay God? But he also understood that he wanted to present his body, his mind, and his will to God. And here's what he teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So he said, I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Are you presenting your bodies this morning to God or to the world? There are many ways you can yield the instruments of your body to the world or to God. What are you doing with the instruments of your body, your arms? Are you reaching out to give or are you reaching to take? Your tongue, are you using it to gossip or are you using it to tell the good news? Your feet, are you running from danger or are you running toward the challenge? What are you doing with your body? Are you dedicating it to God and saying, God, I'm available. I am available. Also, what about your mind? In order to be in a right relationship with God, you need to be behaving properly in your mind. Love God with all your mind. You see, a, a religious person came to Jesus. I said a religious person. He said, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus said, what does the law say? What do you say? The law says. He said in Luke 10, the man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. I want to pick up on that. How do you love God with all your mind? You can't compartmentalize your mind. Philippians 4 teaches us how to do that. How can you love God with all your mind? And now, dear brothers and sisters, in Philippians 4, 8, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about these things that are excellent, and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learn. Remember, learning will result in living. And receive from me everything you've heard from me and saw me doing. 
Then the God of peace will be with you. I want God's peace. He said, the peace I give you is not the kind of peace that the world gives. I want that peace. Are you loving God with your body? Are you loving him with your mind? You know what we can put in our minds. You know what we can think about others. You know what we can watch. Are you loving God with your mind this morning? In order to be in a right relationship with him, the behavior of your mind must line up with what you've learned. What about your will? Notice he said to love him with our will. How did Jesus model this for us so we can learn from him? What does he mean, loving him with our will? Well, I think back to the garden where judgment was being poured on him. I, I know some of you carry heavy burdens, and I've talked to so many of you, and you, you come to church, and I, I have no idea the burden that you're carrying around. But I do know what God taught us. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. We sang about it a while ago. Lay it at the feet of Jesus and walk away. Here Jesus is being burdened with the sin of all mankind on him in the garden. The punishment that we deserve was upon Jesus in that garden. So much so that we believe in the flesh we are allowed to see his humanity in the garden. Yes, he came into the world to die for us. But in the garden, we still hear his flesh cry out in this way. Luke 22 takes us to that scene. He walked away from his apostles about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Do you see Jesus' humanity? You see the pain, the suffering, the hurt in the garden? But yet, he didn't ask God to take away the pain. There is pain that we suffer because we are identified with him, and then there's pain that we bring up on ourselves, and then there is physical pain that we may have nothing to do with, but because we're living on this planet. This was pain he did not deserve, and yet he did not walk away from it. He said, not my will, but yours be done. Does your living match what you have been learning here this morning? If not, it's never too late to line up your behavior with the doctrines and with what we have learned in the word of God. Guess what the result of that is? The result is you will know God's will. If you dedicate your body, your mind, and your will to God, whatever you're going through right now, should I take this job, God? Should I stop dating this person, Lord? Should I stay married to this person, God? Do you want me to move, Lord? Should I make this purchase, Father? Should I share my faith with my neighbor this season? Should I keep quiet when the relatives gather together during the holidays? I always have to pray that. Or do I say something boldly? I want your will, God, to be done. When you worship God in that way, you will know more often than not his will in many situations, maybe not all situations, but in many situations, you are hungering and thirsting. Lord, what do you want me to do? By the way, I pray regularly when I see people ill. I, I have not had the privilege thus far in my life of seeing many people healed, but I'm not giving up. I believe it is possible 
that when we as a church yield ourselves to God, that his glory may come down on this church like it did at Pentecost and change and transform lives and healing may take place. I'm not giving up. So anywhere I go, everywhere I go, I mutter under my breath, maybe I should speak a little louder. Lord, are you ready to do something? I don't want to look like a fool, Lord. you got to tell me, though. That's what I'm saying to God. I'm having conversation with him. I'm sure you've had that kind of conversation with him. Do, do you want me to go out and say something? No, I didn't give you permission to, to do that. He may be saying that to you and me. We need permission. I believe you will be so overwhelmed by the power of the Holy Spirit, you won't be able to keep your mouth shut like Jeremiah. I believe that's when you'll know you need to go ahead and pray. You will know the will of God when you are in a right relationship with him. Again, does your conduct, does your behavior match your belief? If not, please rethink what you believe because many people need to go back to God's word and look and read at what he's telling them instead of what society is telling them because their conduct, their behavior doesn't match up with what they say they believe. Well, as we think about relationships, the Bible talks a lot about our relationship with believers. Everywhere I go, I hear things said about the church. And I tell people the saints are the greatest people in the whole wide world. And when they tell me the church is bad, I said, you just bumped into a small little group of people that are obnoxious and you don't need to hang around them anymore. Believers are the greatest people in the world. Amen, believers? They are the people I want to do business with. Anytime I want to do business in any way, I always go to believers first. How are you in your relationship with other believers? Hmm. Maybe even someone that offended you. What kind of score would you give that? Your relationship with the believers in the church those around you, those are the people you're going to spend eternity with. Are you in a right relationship with them? If you're in a right relationship with God, then you will be in a right relationship with people. I believe when you're in a wrong relationship with people, guess what? You're probably in a wrong relationship with God. Do you agree with that? But when you get right with God, then you'll get right with people and you'll get right with your spouse. If you're having problem with your spouse right now, you need to look in the mirror and ask yourself, am I in a right relationship with you, God? If I'm not, please help me rethink what I'm saying, what I'm doing, how I'm acting, how I'm behaving, so I can get back in a right relationship with my spouse. Well, let's look at verse 3 through 16. You're going to think... We're going to go in a different direction, but we're not. Beginning in verse 3, he teaches us how to be in a right relationship with people, especially with how he has gifted us. Let's begin. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself. Measuring yourself by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it so gladly. Don't just pretend 
Hmm. To love others. Serve them well. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tight to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them under your breath. Pray that God will bless them, not curse them. Be happy with those who are happy. Don't be jealous of them. And weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Well, what can we learn from there? Two things I assess from this. We're not talking about spiritual gifts this morning. We will barely mention it. But we are talking about the gift we have and how we use that gift in relationship with the others or the body of Christ. The, the first thing I think about is the church technically doesn't have any MVPs. I was so furious that Auburn lost to Alabama last night. The coach gets no MVP for coaching against Alabama. They had the game won. But I think about, well, here's the MVP. Usually goes to who? Quarterback, the running back, usually. The church is not to behave that way. They are not to behave like the world behaves, like ESPN. God doesn't have any MVPs. We're all MVPs in God's eyes. So the first thing, in order to be in a right relationship with others, you need to have a sober assessment of yourself. We got too many egomaniacs on ESPN, on television, and in politics, and even in the church. So let's look to Philippians to see how we're actually to think about ourselves. Okay? You want to know how we're to think? Okay, let's look to Philippians. Thank you for that. I like, I like people that respond a little bit. <laughs> Philippians 2. He must be a saint. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Now, that's not saying false humility. I can't sing better than some of these people up here. I can sing, but I can't sing better. So quit thinking I can. I really told Jacob jokingly, I said, I need to be added to the choir up here. I'd love to sing. I stopped singing years ago. And my wife said, I'm glad you have done that. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. What was that attitude? He was God in the flesh. But when he walked around, it says, though, he was God. He did not think of equality with God as something to, be, to cling to. How many times have you and I walked around, if you had the power of God, how many people would be dead around you? How many people in front of you when you're driving a car, it would probably shot up in the air and you would have hung them on the moon? Or you're walking around and some lady slams on her horn and blows your eardrums. And you think, wow, if you could just push a button, you'd blow them to smithereens. <laughs> God didn't do that when people ridiculed him, made fun of him, belittled him, tried to trick him. He walked around with humility. God, our creator, that's how he said we should behave. Not like this guy I'm going to mention, King Herod, he thought he was all that and more, remember? But look what happened to him because he did not have a sober assessment of who he was. In Acts chapter 12, it says, Now Herod was very angry with the people of 
Tyre, and Sidon. Their country depended on the king's country for food, so they came to him with a united front to make peace. They'd been able to win over Blastus, the king's personal aide, and on an appointed day, Herod dressed himself in royal clothing, sat on the throne, and made a speech to them. The people brown-nosing, I'm thinking. The voice of a god, not a man. What did Herod do? Go, oh, wait, no, no. You remember Paul when they did some miracles and they, they started worshiping them and he said, no, no, we're, we're just a man like you. Is that what Herod did? No. He just puffed out his chest, sat on his throne, absorbed it all, and said, that must be true. It's probably what he was thinking. And immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory. He was eaten by worms and died. <laughs> That's not how we're to behave at all. Do you have a sober assessment of who you really are? By the way, we have that in the church. I think only because he's been an example in the news. How many know who Mark Driscoll is? One person? Two people? Okay. Mark Driscoll, a guy that was such a powerful minister at age 24, began to minister and grew the Mars Hill Church in Seattle, Washington. It grew to have over 15,000 people with over 15 campuses. But he had to resign. And all the campuses crumbled. Why? There's probably one word that would be used of him at that time. Arrogance. He did not have a sober assessment of who he was and the gift that God gave him to use to build up the body. Many Christians said he tore down the body instead of building them up. His conduct did not match what he believed. He needs to rethink his beliefs. By the way, he's a pastor again. The church is growing. The same thing is happening again according to the reports I've been reading. The same arrogance. The same macho-ness. He needs to rethink his behavior, doesn't he? So that it lines up with what he believes. His living needs to line up with what he has been teaching and learning. Do you have a sober assessment of who you really are? Well, second thing I think about when I think about all these gifts in verses 19 through 16 is a sober assessment of your spiritual gifts. First, what you are and what you are not. First, what you are. In Jeremiah, here's what God teaches us to do. With, if you have the most beautiful voice, if you have the most eloquent voice in teaching or preaching, you're skilled at technology like those in the back here, if you are really somebody in the eyes of the people in the world in the church, here's how we're to behave. A sober assessment of that spiritual gift or gifts God has given you. Jeremiah 9 says, this is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise, you got a lot of wisdom. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom. Or the powerful boast in their power. Or the rich boast in their riches. Here's what God is saying to all of us who have spiritual gifts. That's everyone that are being used in the church. Some are highlighted, some are not, but especially those who are highlighted. This should be our attitude, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth, and that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. Sometimes we give a lot of honor to people who, are, who have great prominent positions in society. And they're moved into leadership position based on that alone. Or because they are wealthy businessmen or businesswomen. Here's the kind of attitude you should have 
if you happen to be that person looking in on us this morning or present this morning. It says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So if you have a spiritual you think it's wonderful to get up here and speak. You don't know what pastors and preachers and teachers go through. You don't know. I know I've heard from my son Joshua, who celebrated his 22nd album this past week, and all the turmoil and anxiety and the battles and the technology and the things that go right and the things that go wrong. You go, oh, I wish I was in that position. No, you don't necessarily wish you were in that position unless God gave you the gift to work in that position. Do not be jealous or desire the gift of someone else. God uniquely made you, uniquely wired you, and he has given you the gift or gifts that he wants you to have. I try never to boast about my evangelism. I never want you to be like me. Anybody that I talk to, I was talking to someone yesterday, and I said, listen, you use your talent, your voice, your body, your business, in the way God designed you to win people to Christ. By the way, the bottom line is he does want your gift, your gifts, to point to him. Now, some of you have some false humility. Well, my gift is really nothing special. I have a word for you. You don't have a sober assessment of who you are. Look at this individual. I think you know him. Nick Vujic. I think his name is Vujicic. It is. It's Vujicic. That's his name. By the way, I had the pleasure of meeting him last week. No, I mean, that's about 10 years ago. I'm sorry. <laughs> I guess they won't know everybody's I was trying to say, you know, that was still looking that way. Okay. Anyways. Okay, he kind of later giggles. You would think this guy would say, God, I have zero talent to give to the kingdom of God. I have no arms. I have no legs. I don't have the kind of body to use in the body of Christ. So therefore, I'm going to sit myself on the shelf. Some of you have that attitude about the gift God's given you. What am I, chopped liver? You didn't give me the gift of voice or the gift to teach or the gift to make money. What is your gift? Do you even know what gift or gifts God has given you? You see, he was diagnosed with Tetra Amelia syndrome. He's now 41. He shares his inspirational story all over the world from being bullied to where he wanted to commit suicide to where he became a believer. And now he shares his story all over the world and he uses one of the gifts, one of his instruments in his body. He has dedicated his body to the Lord. And he uses his tongue to bring honor and glory to God. I will say this again as I've said about someone else. What's your excuse? That you can't use that gift God has given you to serve the body of Christ. He wants you. He needs you. In order to be in a right relationship with God, you need to be in a right relationship with believers. If you are not using your gift, you need to rethink what you've been taught, what you've learned, so that you live what you've learned, and you exercise your gift in the body of Christ. Remember what he taught us in 1 Corinthians about that gift that you don't think so special? Here's what he taught us. Now, the body in 1 Corinthians 12 is not made up of one part, but of many. Nick could relate to this. Is the, if the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I don't belong to the body. Just picture Nick and think of what he could be saying to this. He said, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason 
reason cease to be a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? God has given you a gift to use amongst the body of Christ. Usually they say, again, 20% of the people do 80% of the work that the church needs to get done. We need you to volunteer to use the gift God's ordained you to use in the body of Christ. When we gather and when we scatter. The gift is not just used when we gather. It's also used when we scatter. I can use the gift of evangelism right here, right now in the church. That would be an easy thing to do. But now when I go out into the world, I need to make sure that I'm sharing my faith with those out in the pickleball court, those in homes, those during the holidays. You have a chance to share your faith. Now, there is a chance for me to be evangelistic outside the church using that gift of evangelism here and there. How are you doing? What kind of score would you give yourself? How are you behaving? Are you behaving like God has given you a gift? Or are you behaving like he hasn't given you a gift at all? They say 20% of the people give all the resources in the church. They say at a picnic, 20% of the people eat 80% of the food. It's called the Preto Syndrome. How are you doing? Can, will, will you let the Holy Spirit encourage you today? I think of some people like this morning. I can think of Ava and Barbara and others that I can call on at any time. Lil, I don't know if she's in here this morning, Lil. But anytime I, I, we want someone to pray. See, you would not think those are very important people. I can tell you they are very important people to me. And anytime someone needs prayer, when I'm walking out, I immediately call upon these girls. And, of course, if it was a guy, I would bring some guys around me and, and uh, I would have them pray. There are people that know this Bible just as good as I know this Bible. You have a Bob Morgan or you have a, a, a Steve Petruco or you have some younger people that know the Scripture, Kevin and others and, and you have Alex. People know the Bible or Steve Cassidy. These, these guys know the Bible just as much as I do. I don't think I'm better than them. My role is different than their role. They get to use their gift. I get to use my gift to bless the body of Christ. Are you just sitting on the sideline? Would you rethink this morning how you're behaving with that gift? And would you begin to use it in the body of Christ? We need to have a sign that says, we need you. This body needs you, especially if you go to two services next year. We need some volunteers. Why? Because we need people serving so the people are serving can come in the church and listen and learn and grow also. We don't want them always serving like Martha. Is, is it Martha? You know, remember Mary Martha, the story of Mary Martha? Here, here, she should have been sitting at the feet of Jesus. God was in the house and she was doing something else. Some of those people that are serving need to hear from God. They need to rub shoulders with the body. They can get worn out serving while you and me run home to do something else. Would you please consider volunteering, going on our website, fill out the form. I make myself available today to serve the body of Christ. We'll end with this. What about your relationship with your enemies? Verse 17 to 21. Let's look at it. We won't be long. I'll be, I'll be mentioning some of that next week. <laughs> Our enemy. Remember, the devil looked past the institutions and past people and understand that it is the devil that is working through these institutions and through these people trying to get at God and to get at you. But here's, if we're in a right relationship with God, we'll be in a right relationship with believers and we'll also be in a right relationship with our enemies. Do any of you have any enemies? Hmm. I have a lot of enemies out there in the world. All the liars. All the murderers. All the deceivers out there. They're God's enemies, and they're my enemies, and they're your enemies. And there's a tendency to want to hate them. 
But he teaches us how we're to treat our enemies. Ready? Verse 17 in chapter 12. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. How not to treat our enemies? It tells us in verse 17. Notice that. He teaches us never pay back evil for evil. I'm learning this a little at a time, and the greatest place I've learned this is in traffic. I really mean that. I remember at 19 years old pulling out a, a, a blank pistol and shooting at people, watching them zigzag all over the road and laughing. An immature teenager. Today, someone might pop back. But I've learned how to love those people that I think are their enemies. They're not my enemies. Have no idea what they've been going through, what their relationship was with their spouse, their kids, work, the pressure they have on them. I've learned to begin loving them. I've learned from one of the greatest, and that's King David and Jesus. Do you remember when Saul was after David? He had a chance to kill him on many occasions. He said, I'm not doing it. I'm not touching God's anointed. I'm going to leave that up to God. Have you decided to do that with your enemies? You lay them at the feet of Jesus and you pray for them. You care for them. Remember, we are in a position to bless those who curse us. Now, I know we've seen the abuse of power in politics and in religion. But we need to break that chain. Our behavior needs to match what we believe. Don't let evil conquer you. You sit and watch the news every day, it's going to conquer you. How to treat your enemies, we end with this. Notice in verse 17, the later part of the verse, it says, do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Okay, so set our minds on things that are honorable when you're thinking about your enemy. Forgive like Jesus did. Let me remind you what he did as we celebrate it again the Lord's Supper in Luke 23. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Just think what they did to the Son of God. All the accusations, the false accusations, like a lot of people are doing to believers today. They're ju we're judging them. Look how Jesus responded. All the preachers throughout our land, no matter where they're from, we need to learn this. Father, forgive them. What happens if Jesus said, it's payback time? That's exactly what the world is preaching. It's payback time for all the wrongs that have been done to me or to them or the institutions or the Christianity. What if Jesus took that stand? He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then, of course, one of the great saints Stephen, the first martyr of the church, while he's being pelted with rocks, falsely accused, he sees the heavens open up in Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. He said, forgive them. Forgive them. He, where did he learn that from? The cross. Where did we learn to do it? From the cross, from Jesus, from Stephen. Forgive them, Lord. They don't know what they're doing because you and me used to live that way. We didn't know what we were doing. So we forgive them in sincerity. And we try to live at peace with everyone. I really have to learn that when I get together with family during the holidays. I remember one time just mentioning a man's name. 
at my wife's family's table. I won't tell you who it is. Try to guess. And everybody got up from the table and left. I told them who I listened to once in a while. You see, we have to be able to have differences of opinion and not be hated for it. And sometimes opinions, not opinions, really are truths that need to be stated in the pulpit. Like, for example, God made them male and female. That's what he taught us in the garden. It's okay to pronounce that truth in love in the pulpit. We aren't judging them. We're teaching the truth. And Jesus wants to save all people in all walks of life from whatever sin they're living in. He's inviting them to have a relationship with them. But he's not inviting them to go ahead and live in that lifestyle. Living with someone. Having sex outside of marriage. We need to be able to state that truth in the pulpit, in love, honestly wanting people to turn from their ways because God wants to save them. He wants to forgive them just like he forgave you and me. But a lot of churches are not teaching those truths. Yes, I want to live at peace, but not peace at the cost of compromising the word of God. So, yes, during the holidays, we want to do our best to get along with everyone, even though they may have a difference of opinion, a different political persuasion. You see, I didn't necessarily vote for the person in office, but I don't hate the person in office. I don't hate them. You see, God said it's impossible to say you love him and hate your brother. Whether they're in positions of power or no matter the color of their skin, you cannot say you love me and hate them. Hmm. Are you in a right relationship with God? If you are, your body, your mind, and your will belongs to him. You will be in a right relationship with people around you, and you will learn to get along with your enemies, even if it's in your own family, because the spirit of living God is in you. Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at blcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way. Everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.